As the kids are leaving, I just wanted to introduce myself. My name is Amber, and I'm here with my teammates Dylan and Taylor. Um, we're here with a traveling team, and we are so excited to be here with you guys. Um, I want to explain to you a little bit who the traveling team is, because you might be asking, who are you? And so we're a ministry, and we travel around from state to state and talk at college campuses and at churches, like with you guys this morning. Um, and so I'll give you a little rundown of what today's going to look like. Um, in a minute, Dylan's going to come up, and he's going to walk us through the entire Bible in like 30 minutes. We're going to fly by. And from Genesis to Revelation, seeing the heart of God and this mission that he's been on from the beginning of time. Um, and so Dylan's going to come up in a minute and share with that. And, and like Adam said earlier, there's going to be a second part later today. We want to invite you back here at 1230, back in this room, whether you're in college or you're just here, part of the congregation. Um, we want to invite you back at 1230, and we're going to talk through what God has been doing, um, even in college students, for his name um, throughout history. And so we'll, we'll hear some history on that and also just give ourselves some, how do we respond? What are some next steps? And so, um, like I said, we're so excited to be here for you guys to... Uh, even celebrate a sweet brother being baptized this morning. Um, and, and because for me, this concept we're talking about this morning changed everything. So much so that I left Southern California and took a public speaking job, even though I love California and I don't always love public speaking, um, because I think it's that important for people to hear about. And so we're excited to share with you guys today. And with that being said, can you help me welcome up Dylan? Hey, well, uh, Amber, Amber didn't say that I am from Illinois, <clears throat> and Illinois is the worst. <laughs> Illinois is the worst. Uh, it's, like, it's like so bad that I had a bucket list of things growing up, and at the top of the bucket list for me was to leave. Like, I just wanted to get out. And so, uh, so I, had, I had this bucket list of things I wanted to do, and I'm sure that uh, some of us probably have uh, similar bucket lists maybe, whether it's travel or uh, skydiving or rafting rivers in Egypt or like just going on a date in the first place, like wherever we're at on that uh, spectrum of things. Uh, for me, I like specifically, I thought that California was like the coolest state ever, and so I wanted to go to California really badly. And uh, a couple years ago, I had the opportunity and like privilege to go to California. I went with some of my friends, and like the first thing that we did was just sprint out to the beach. We wanted to go see the ocean. And so I remember this day really vividly, really clearly, we're running along the beach, going out to the ocean, and there's the, there are these warning signs and, like, warning flags lining up and down the beach. And these warning signs were warning us of rip currents. And I remember thinking to myself, I was like, I will never get caught in a rip current until, like, two minutes later, and I was caught in a rip current. And, uh, you know, I know a few things about the ocean. Uh, it's really big, one. And two, I've seen Jaws, and I want nothing to do with sharks, that's for sure. And... Uh, like three, I'm thinking, God, are you really going to let me die single? Come on. Like, sharks and singleness, no thanks. I'm not about that. I'm also thinking about how I did swim team in high school. Like, I know butterfly, backstroke, breaststroke, free. I'll just swim as hard as I can to get back into shore, and, and I'll be fine. And so I do that, uh, but what's crazy is, is I, I can't. Like, I, I can't fight. The current, and, and so maybe some of you know what a, a rip current is. Basically, it's a massive force of water that pulls everything out into the open ocean. And so I'm caught in this, and I'm swimming as hard as I can to get back into shore, and it, it doesn't do anything. It, it doesn't do anything. And this is like 
legitimately probably one of the scariest moments of my life because I have no idea what to do. I don't know which direction to swim. I have nothing to stand on. Like, I have no idea what to do. And it was at this point that I remembered that in order to get out of a rip current, you can't fight against it. It's too, it's too strong. You can't swim against it. Instead, you have, to, you have to swim out of it. You have to swim left or right to get out of a current. And so how did I even know which direction was left or right at this point? Because I'm pretty far out into the ocean, and I didn't even know which direction to swim until I set my eyes on something that was consistent and something that was unchanging. And so the consistent and unchanging thing was the shore. And even though it was far away, like, I knew exactly which direction I had to swim because I saw this consistent and unchanging thing. I just had to swim parallel with the shore. So follow, follow me here, because what I believe is that what is true of the current of the ocean is true of the current of our world as well. And the current of our world can be made up of, uh, of a lot of different things, and it could be different things for each and every one of us, but it could be our family or friends or relationships or maybe it's a degree, maybe it's buying a better car, new, a newer house, uh, just making a lot of money, living like a happy, comfortable, secure life. Like maybe that's what the current of the world looks like and I'd be willing to bet that if we're living for that current of the world, like we aren't going to live our lives for anything that matters for all of eternity. And so, so the question that I think that we need to ask ourselves today is like, how, how do we get out of the current of the world? I'd be willing, I, I don't think that we want to live our lives for something that doesn't matter. So how do we get out of the current of the world? Well, we have to align our lives with something that's consistent. And we have to align our lives with something that's unchanging. And that's God's word. And, and, and that's God's mission throughout all of scripture. Like we get out of the current of the world by aligning our lives to be a part of this book. And so what we're going to do today is uh, walk from Genesis to Revelation, and uh, we're just going to see what God is doing throughout the whole Bible, like starting in the beginning, going to the end, and seeing this, this view that what, what is God doing throughout the entire book, and then how do we align our lives to be a part of that. So does that sound good? You guys ready to do that? All right, cool. All right, I'm going to start in Genesis. Seems like a good place to start. In Genesis 1, uh, God creates all things. He creates uh, specifically Adam and Eve. And in Genesis 1.28, God says to Adam and Eve, he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Well, like two chapters after that is Genesis 3, and, and Adam and Eve sin, and the world gets so bad after this that God basically like hits the reset button. He, he floods the whole earth and starts over again with Noah and his family. And, and Noah and his family are getting off the ark after the flood, and God repeats himself. He repeats Genesis 1.28 again. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So if God's repeating himself, like, I think that we should probably pay attention and listen. So if God's repeating himself, what is he saying? If God wants his people to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, like, why does he desire that? Why does he want that? It's because God has always desired this world to be full of worshipers, this world to be full of people who know God, who love him, who are in a relationship with him. Uh, but the problem is, is just a few chapters after that, again, is the story of the Tower of Babel. And in the Tower of Babel, mankind is not spreading out. They're not making God known. Instead, they're trying to be like God themselves. And so in response to this, God spreads out cultures, languages, nations across the entire world. And so we arrive to this point of Genesis chapter 12, and the context that we have is that we know that God wants to see a world full of worshipers. But the problem is, is that it's not. It's not the way the world looks. 
we, we, know that our, we know that our God's faithful, we know that he's good, and if he's on a mission, he's going he's gonna to complete that mission. But how is he going to do it? What, what's he going to do to fix that problem? And, and we arrive to this point of Genesis chapter 12, and, and God sets this mission in, in motion. It, it starts in Genesis chapter 12. We see it for the first time because we know that God wants a world full of worshipers. How is he going to do it? He's going to bless his people to be a blessing to reach the nations. And so God starts this actually in Genesis chapter 12, one of the most foundational passages in the Bible. God says to Abraham, go from your country and your people and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So God looks down on Abraham here in Genesis chapter 12, and he says, Abraham, like, I'm going to bless you like crazy. Like, I'm going to hook you up. Uh, but it's actually, it's actually not just for you. Because God continues in verse 3, and he says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all nations on earth shall be blessed. So God looks down at Abraham, says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you like crazy, but it's not just for you. And it's not even just for your family. But it's so that all nations on earth shall be blessed through you. So God sets up this, this pattern, this standard that he uses throughout the rest of the Bible, throughout the rest of history, that as God blesses his people, he's blessed them to be a blessing to reach the nations. Like all nations is the end goal, and, and we see this. God just continues this pattern throughout the rest of history. So it continues on to Abraham's son, Isaac. Uh, God says to Isaac, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and in your offspring all nations on earth shall be blessed. And then again to Abraham's grandson, Jacob, your descendants shall be like the dust of the earth, and in your offspring all the peoples of the earth shall be blessed. So here's just Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And already, like, I think it's so clear that, that this is what God is doing. This is what he's about. He's about the nations. He's about the earth. And he's about making himself known among all people. God's like setting up this like a family business almost. Like this is just what he does. And so he's, he invites his people to be a part of this. And it doesn't just stop with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but it continues on into, into some of like our favorite Old Testament Bible stories. Like this story of, of David and Goliath. And I'm sure that we know this story. Um, it's, it's the plot of like every sports movie ever. So we know it from that, if not the biblical account. And it's, it's, it's a great story. Short dude and, and a tall dude and an awesome headshot. And it's really great. But the thing, that, the thing about the story of David and Goliath is that so often we tend to make it about ourselves. We love to put our name in where it says David, and so we'll say, well, if, if God's on my side, then there's no giant that can stand against me. And, and that is 100% true, that God does defeat our giants, and, and praise God for that. Uh, but David actually knows why God is doing this. He, he knows that God is up to something bigger. He knows he's up to something bigger than just giving us like, an encouraging story. And he knows this because he's, he's running out to, to kill Goliath. And he screams this in his face. He says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, Goliath, and I will strike you down that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. I mean, David knows why God is going to bless him with victory, and it's so that, so that God's name is made known among the entire earth. That's what, that's what God's about in this story, and, and I can prove that to be true. I can prove that God uses this story to make his name known among the entire earth because we are here thousands of years later in Huntington and thousands of miles away, and God is still using this story to make his name known. But it doesn't just stop with, with David and Goliath. It continues on into some of our favorite psalms. Uh, Psalm 46.10, it says, Be still and know that I am God. And, and this is like the go-to 
American Christianity verse because it's written on coffee mugs and canvases and like, oh, we see this verse all over the place. And it's a great verse. Like, we do need to be still and know that God is God. Uh, but what's interesting about Psalm 46.10 is that there's actually a second half. Uh, there's, a, there's a part B to this verse. It's not like, it doesn't end with a, a dot, 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 a poetic ending of be still and know that I'm God, 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 or something. But like, it, it continues on. It continues on. So what is so bad? What is so bad about part B that we just cut it off? And we don't, even, we don't even know what it says. Psalm 46.10 in its entirety says, Be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. It's so, it's so easy to be caught in the current of the world. It's so easy. And when that happens, I think we, we tend to separate the, the blessing that God gives us from the responsibility we love to be still and know that God is God, but with that comes this responsibility of making him known among the nations and in the entire earth. And obviously, like, it's a great thing to be blessed by God. I think that we should desire that as a church. And Psalm 67 talks about this. It says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Like, I want that. I want that for us. Like, God's face to shine on us. That sounds amazing. But why do, why do we desire that? It's so that your way may be known on earth your saving power among all nations, and God has blessed us to be a blessing to reach the nations. Continues, God commissions, continues through the Psalms. into uh, This is one of my favorite Old Testament Bible stories, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Rakshak and Benny, as I like to call them. Rakshak and Benny are my dudes. I love these guys. Uh, I'll, I'll just like give you a quick rundown of the story. Details could be fuzzy. So what happens in the story of Rakshak and Benny is these guys are living in ancient Babylon. In ancient Babylon, there's this crazy borderline psycho king. His name is Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar commands all people in Babylon to bow down and worship a giant golden statue. And if people don't do that, he's going to throw you into a furnace. So, like, can you imagine if, if, if you got pulled over by a police officer and instead of a $100 ticket, it's like 100 minutes in a furnace. Like, this is crazy. This is crazy. But this is what Nebuchadnezzar does. He throws people into furnaces. And so he throws Rakshak and Benny into the furnace and, and they don't die. They don't die. They just start walking around in there. And I guess Nebuchadnezzar turns it like 450 on high or something like that. I don't know. And he, 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 they, they still don't die. And in fact, a, a fourth guy shows up. And so they're not dying, but they're multiplying somehow. And so I don't, like, this, is, this story is crazy. But what's incredible is Nebuchadnezzar has never seen this happen before. He's never seen something like this happen before. And so he pulls Rakshak and Benny out of the furnace. And he has a conversation with him because he wants to know what's going on here. And Nebuchadnezzar he says this after this conversation. He says, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop here for a second because Nebuchadnezzar was an idol-worshiping king. And now he's worshiping the same God that he just threw Rakshak and Benny into a furnace over. God is, God is changing this man's heart. He's changing his heart. And it's, it's incredible. This is true. This is true of us as followers of Jesus, that God is, is changing our heart to become more like his. But he doesn't just stop with individual heart change. He, Nebuchadnezzar continues and he says, Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. It's so like, limb from limb is still very extreme. Like, I think God's still working on some stuff in his heart, for sure. But... <laughs> Uh, I think what's incredible here is that 
we can see the mission of God pushed forward here, even God using an idol-worshiping king to make his name known. And what Nebuchadnezzar sees here is this God is so good, this God is so great, that all people need to know him. All people need to know this God. God's mission doesn't just stop with Rakshak and Benny. It continues on in the prophets in Habakkuk. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And then in Malachi, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord. So we just, we just walked from, from Genesis to Malachi, from the first book of the Old Testament to the last book of the Old Testament. I think that it's really clear that God has always been about, about the nations. He's always been about the entire earth. And I think so often when we talk about missions, we just go to this verse in Matthew 28, and Jesus tells his disciples to go. And we're going to get there in a second, but this is clear that this is something that God has always been about. Even before Jesus arrives on earth, this is what God is about. He's doing this. And, like, I miss this. I miss this for so long. And I grew up in the church. I miss this. I had no idea this is what God was doing. And we didn't even have time to talk about stories like Daniel and the lion's den or Solomon's wisdom or the Ten Commandments or the building of the temple. Like, all of these stories are happening in the Old Testament so that God's name is made known among the entire earth. And, and suddenly, I think the Old Testament starts to, way, it starts to make way more sense in my brain because I see that this is what God is about throughout the whole Old Testament, and this is what he continues to be about in the New Testament. Because we can, we can look at the life of Jesus and see that this is what Jesus is about. We would expect that to be the same. God in the flesh, we would expect him to be about the same thing. And so he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom to all people, not just Jews, not just Gentiles, but to all people. And we arrive to this, this verse in, in John 3.16 that we know so well. It's probably the most famous verse in the Bible. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Yeah, I think that John 3.16 is, is so well known because within it is the good news of the gospel. Within it is the fact that we were separated from God from, because of our sin. Like we were dead in our sin. We couldn't do anything to earn our way back to God. And so God, in his grace, he sends his son Jesus to live a perfect life for us, to die on a cross for our sin, to rise again so that we can put our trust in Jesus and our broken relationship with God can, can now be restored. I heard that a lot growing up, though. I heard that a lot. And so I knew John 3.16 really well. And I got to this point of reading John 3.16 where I just read it as, For God so loved Dylan that he gave his only son. For God so loved Dylan. And, and praise God that that's true. Like, praise God that he wants an individual relationship with us, and Jesus came to die for us individually. I forgot that Jesus came to die for the whole world as well. Jesus didn't just come to die for us, but he came to die so that all people would know him. The whole world would know him as well. And we cannot forget that. And Jesus, he, like I said, he spends three days in a grave. He rises again on the third. And he spends about 40 days on earth. And in those last 40 days before he ascends to heaven, he gives some of his last and some of his best well-known teachings. This is one of them. I talked about it a second ago. Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Uh, but this verse actually sounds really similar to another verse in Mark. Jesus says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And then 
Also in Luke, Jesus says repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. In John, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And in Acts, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I always just thought that the Great Commission was just one verse at the end of Matthew. But it turns out that it's actually five different verses in five different books of the Bible. So why does, why does Jesus, why does he do this? Why does he give five, five Great Commissions, not just one? I think it's because he knows us, and he knows our hearts, and he knows that if the Great Commission is just one verse at the end of Matthew, that we, as a church, would tend to make it an option. We would tend to make it an option to be considered rather than a command to be obeyed, but Jesus makes this clear. This is clear. This is what what he's about, and therefore what we're about as his followers. We go and make Jesus known to the ends of the earth. And I think that Acts 1-8 Acts is probably one of my favorites out of these five because in Acts 1-9, Jesus just levitates off the ground and then he's gone. And I'm sure that his disciples are probably super confused of what just happens. But at the same time, like, I don't think they're wondering what they're supposed to do. And the reason why I don't think that they're wondering is because they spent the last three years with Jesus. And they've seen the way that he's done ministry. They've seen the way that he preached the gospel to all people And then they see that in the last 40 days, like, this is what he's just pounding into their heads. These are his last words, and he's making sure that they hear it. And when his disciples are standing around after Jesus is gone, like, I don't think they're saying, well, Jesus, like, I really, I really do want to do that. I want to do that, but, you know, like, I've, I've got to get an internship this summer or something like that, or, you know, I've, I, I I can't, like, I've got to, I've got this, I've got that. Like, I don't, I don't think that I can do that. I don't, I don't think that that's what is disciples are saying. In fact, I, I know that it's not because the Holy Spirit comes after this. And after that, they, they take the gospel wherever they can to a point that they're imprisoned and they're killed for, ta- for making Jesus known. And we can see specifically even in the life of Paul that Paul says it's his life purpose, his life ambition to take the gospel where it's not. He says that in Romans 15. He also says this in Galatians 3. He says, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Sorry, i got to fix this. So what Paul is saying here in, in Galatians 3, in Galatians 3, is that if we, if we are followers of Jesus, then we are a part of this family business. If we're followers of Jesus, then we're a part of this family business. And, and the family business is making Jesus known to the ends of the earth. Like, that's just what we do. We join Jesus in this because that's just part of our identity is what we do. This actually, this idea of a family business, it reminds me a lot of uh, the family business that my, that my grandpa started uh, back home in Illinois. Actually, family business is called Walmart, which is crazy. Uh, I'm just kidding. That's not true. No. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a tiny little grocery store you've never heard of before, and that's okay. Uh, it's called Dave's Supermarket, and if you're in Illinois, come, t- like, come hang out. It's great, but uh, it's not Walmart, that's for sure. But in my, in my eyes, as a, as a young person, 
I thought that Dave's Supermarket was basically Walmart because I was, like, this is what I was living for growing up. I remember walking up and down the aisles as a kid. I remember in sixth grade, like, I was supposed to draw a picture of what I wanted to be when I grew up, and it was a stick figure of me standing next to Dave's Supermarket. Like, this is just what I was supposed to do. And so I'd go to college to get a marketing degree, to go work at Dave's the rest of my life, and then just, like, die there, I guess. Like, I don't know. That's just what I was supposed to do. It's just what I was supposed to do. And, and I got to this point of my senior year of college that I knew what everyone else expected of me. And I knew what everyone else wanted for me and for my life. Like, I knew what my parents wanted, what my friends wanted, my professors wanted. Like, they wanted me to go work at Dave's. That's what I was supposed to do. But I, I never seemed to stop and ask God what he wanted. What he wanted with my degree, what he wanted with the next few years, what he wanted with the rest of my life. And I'd be willing to bet that, that all of us are in a really similar position. It may not be college, it may be post-grad, it may be parenthood, like whatever that looks like. I bet we're in a really similar position because we're thinking about the future and making decisions and all of those things. But what I want to encourage us to do as a church is to ask God what he wants. To ask God what he wants with our degree, what he wants with post-grad, what he wants with our children, what he wants with our retirement ask God what he wants, because I'm sure that we know what the world expects of us, and I'm sure that we know what other people expect of us, but to ask God what he wants. And, and the reason why I think it's so important that we ask that question is actually because of a place in the world, a place in the world, and, and that place in the world is called the 1040 window, the 1040 window, and maybe some of us have heard of it before, maybe not, let me, let me tell you a little bit about it. So it reaches from 10 degrees above the equator to 40 degrees above the equator from West Africa through the Middle East, India, China, Southeast Asia, and Japan. And in this box, in this box in the world, there are 5 billion people who live here, 5 billion people, that's like two-thirds of the world's population, it's a lot of people, 5 billion. And out of those 5 billion people, Three billion of them are considered unreached. Three billion are considered unreached. So let me tell you the difference between unreached and unsaved, because they're, they're different things. So someone who's unsaved is someone who's not following Jesus, and that's a problem. Like, I'm, I'm not minimizing that. That is, a, that is a problem that we need to care about. And so we know unsaved people, uh, we work with them, we're in, in class with them, family, friends, people in Huntington, people who aren't following Jesus, that's a problem. And the mission of God starts here. Like we start living missionally here in Huntington, but the mission of God doesn't just stop here in Hunting, Huntington, it continues on to the ends of the earth. And so what is someone who is unreached? What does that look like? It's someone who is not only, not only not following Jesus, but they couldn't even if they wanted to. They couldn't even if they wanted to. And, and so what does that mean? Well, that means that that person has little or no access to the gospel. They, they don't have a Bible in their language, there's not a church in their city or country, there's not even a Christian who could walk up to them and share the gospel with them. And so the reality for three billion people in this box is they're going to be, they're going to be born and live their entire lives and they're going to die without ever hearing the good news of the gospel, without ever hearing the good news of John 3.16, without ever hearing the gospel that we talk about in this room every week. And that, that's, a, that's a problem. That's a problem. Like, I think that this like takes me off a little bit because like how can how can a place like that still exist in the world? We live in a country that has so much access to the gospel. We have a ton of different versions to the English Bible. Like we can we can go to a church, we can ask someone about Jesus, but these people can't do that. There's no option for them to do that. 
And so I, naturally, I just ask the question, like, why, why does that place exist? Why is that still a place in the world? And it seems like the answer is because so often we tend to make the Great Commission an option to be considered rather than a command to be obeyed. But, but Jesus makes this, like, so clear that, I mean, we take the gospel there. <laughs> like, that's where it's not. And Jesus is, is beckoning and inviting his sons and his daughters to take part in this, to join him in this mission that he's on. And, and this is pretty bleak, like, three billion people without access to the gospel. That's a problem, and I think that it calls for some sort of response from us as a church. And, and Paul talks about this. He says, how are, they, how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So basically what Paul says is he gives us two options in light of unreached people, in light of God's mission. We can go and we can send. We can go and we can send. And we just had a beautiful, beautiful picture of what it looks like to go here because the nations are, are here. The nations are in Huntington. The nations are at Marshall. And what God is doing is he's bringing unreached people, people from the 1040 window to Huntington. And so people who have never had access to the gospel before suddenly have access to the gospel because they live in the same city as you, because they, they, have, they have access to the Bible that they can read. And suddenly they have access to the gospel for the first time in their lives. And what a privilege it is for us to, to share the gospel with people who have no access to it. And, and maybe they go back to India or China or the Middle East, wherever that is, and it's, maybe they, they never have access to hear of who Jesus is again. And can you imagine what would happen if, if, if people start getting saved here at Marshall and they go back and, and they're the political leaders and, and they're the future world changers of their country? How incredible would that be if they were followers of Jesus? And we can also go there. We can take the gospel to the 1040 window. Just like the members in this church who are in the Middle East and in North Africa, we can take the gospel where it's not. And maybe that's a week, maybe that's a summer, maybe that's the rest of your life. We can take the gospel where it's not. We can also send by, by praying and giving. And Jesus talks about in Matthew 9.37, he, he comes up to his disciples seeing a group of people that are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he tells this, his disciples to pray. He asks them to, to pray to the Lord of the harvest because the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. So we can pray and ask God to raise up more laborers. We can also give. We can give to people who are in the 1040 window to make sure that they get there. They're well prayed for. They have the ability to stay there. I want to make this really clear, though, that, that going and sending is not like A-team and B-team. And it's not like varsity and JV or something like that. Like, that's not how this works. That's not how this works. I mean, within the mission of God, this is, this is what we do. And both are equally needed and equally valuable. And they should both be equally sacrificial as well. So if someone's going to give up their life to take the gospel to North Africa, that's incredibly sacrificial. And it should be just as sacrificial for us to stay behind and give and pray and make sure that they get there. And these are both equally needed, equally valuable, equally sacrificial as well. But here's the good news in all this. I said in Genesis chapter 1 that if God's on a mission, he's going to bring it to completion. That's just what he does. He's a faithful God. And this is a picture of God completing his promise. He says in Revelation 7, 9, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before Jesus, man, this is, this is what God is about. This is what he's doing. From Genesis 12 to Revelation 7, he's taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, and we see that he finishes his mission. In Revelation 7, he does it. He completes it. And, and, and what the beautiful thing is that he's doing is that he invites his church to do this. 
In fact, this is the reason why the church exists, is to see Revelation 7-9 happen, and he's inviting his people to play a part in that. And the reason why Revelation, the reason why missions exist, the reason why people are in North Africa, in the Middle East, and China, is because this isn't a reality yet. Revelation 7-9 isn't a reality yet, but it's going to happen. And we can take that promise to the bank. And we can go forth boldly, knowing that Revelation 7-9 is going to happen, and we can proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. And I want to actually, I want to give us a, a time to respond to this, a time that we can actually t- say yes to God in whatever way that looks like. And the way that I'm going to have us do that is to pull out this card. It should be on your seat or somewhere around you. I want you to, to pull it out and take a look at it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain it. So on the, on the front side of this card is uh, the title, The Mission Theme of the Bible. And there's a list of some verses there. And, and this, is, uh, this is a resource for you. Uh, this is a few of the verses that I walk through and even some extra ones. And this is just to prove that this is not a traveling team thing. Uh, this is not a Huntington Church thing. But this is, this is a God thing. And this is what God is about. Like he's, he's about doing this. So use this in your personal time with God. Even share it with someone who doesn't know this. Uh, but then on the back side of this card is a, is a commitment. And uh, I'm going to actually ask people who want to join God in this commitment uh, to raise this card uh, above their head. And I know that sounds super intimidating, so let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, This commitment says, I commit myself to obeying Christ and declaring his salvation to the unreached world by serving as either a cross-cultural goer and or a sacrificial sender. So what what does this commitment mean? Does it mean that you uh, book your one-way ticket to Africa tomorrow? Like, Nope, that's not what I'm saying. doesn't mean that you give all of your money to missions. Nope, I, I won't stop you from that, obviously, but like, that's, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, no, uh, this commitment is actually, it's going to look different for each and every one of us. Uh, because this commitment could mean that you commit to trying to make an international friend. Or you think about what it looks like. You pray about asking God if, if you can go to this 1040 window. Or uh, committing to pray for unreached people groups. Or maybe giving to a missionary giving to a member who's in North Africa or the Middle East, or maybe, honestly, maybe you don't even know what this commitment looks like, but you know that you want to join God in his mission in some way. You want to join him in, in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so I want to, I want to ask us right now to, to just bow our heads, to bow our heads and, and close our eyes. I'm going to ask the worship team to, to come back up right now. And I'm just going to close this in prayer. But this commitment is not... <laughs> Like, it's not something that we're going to hold you accountable to. Like, this is a commitment between you and God. But I don't want to make light of that because this is the, one of the biggest commitments that we could ever make. And, and this is a worthy commitment. Like, there's nothing else that's worth giving our lives to than this. And so I'm going to pray as closed. But I want to ask people who want to join God in his mission, who want to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, who want to join God in his family business, I want you to take this card and raise it above your head right now. So take this card and, and raise it above your head, and I'm just going to pray as closed. Oh God, we praise you as, as the God who's the God of all nations, and not just America, and not just West Virginia, but a God of all people. And so we praise you for that, and we just are so thankful that you are a God who invites your children to play a part in this mission. So God, will you use us as goers and senders, radical goers and senders, to see the gospel taken to the ends of the earth. God, will you use us, use this church to see that happen. In Jesus' name, amen.